privilege to introduce our speaker this morning. He's from Boston, Massachusetts, which means he's a Red Sox fan. <laughs> right. Look on him this morning with great skepticism. <laughs> Secondly, he's got a thick Boston accent. Strike two on that one. But besides that, he's a great guy. Dave Gettleman uh, grew up in Boston, went to Springfield College, uh, coached high school uh, football for a number of years after college where he uh, led some teams into league titles. Then he jumped into the NFL, 35-year career in the NFL, started with the Buffalo Bills, then went out to Denver for a little Rocky Mountain High for four years, and then the Giants hired him as a scout and eventually director of uh, player personnel for the Giants. He had the privilege of being a part of two Super Bowl running, two Super Bowl winning teams, and he was instrumental in getting guys like Plexigo Burris, Antonio Pierce, Lawrence Tynes, and Trail Roll, uh, and others to, uh, to the Giants as free agents uh, during that, that stretch when they were winning those Super Bowl teams. Panthers liked that so much that they hired him as their GM, and for four years he uh, directed the uh, Panthers, took them to a Super Bowl, but also was named 2015 executive, NFL executive man of the year. Came back to the Giants, and got cancer the same year he was hired as the GM uh, for the Giants lymphoma. Battled that, went through a cancer journey. Uh, and all the years that he was with the Giants, we still couldn't exercise the demon of the Red Sox out of him. And he remains a staunch Red Sox fan. But I had the privilege of leading the Giants uh, coaches Bible study and staff Bible study for a number of years when Dave was uh, in that role as, as pro personnel director. And I so much appreciated his insights. And as we would go through a book like Matthew or whatever, Dave, being a, a Jewish believer, had some insights that we Gentiles didn't have in the room. And it was just fun to have, to have him a part of, of that uh, fellowship of, of coaches and staff. Another thing I appreciate a lot about Dave is that when he was a GM for the, for the Panthers, at least, and probably for the Giants as well, AIA has a uh, – we host a breakfast – at the owners, NFL owners meetings each year. And it's a chance to administer to the owners and uh, head coaches and, and other staff of the various teams in the NFL. And Dave and Joanna's wife uh, put their names on an invitation inviting all other GMs and owners and, and head coaches to our breakfast at the owners meetings. And that takes a step of faith and conviction when you put your name out there and identify with Jesus Christ uh, among your peers. So much appreciated that. So even though he's got two strikes against him, Red Sox fan, thick Boston accent, welcome with me, Dave Gettleman. I was hoping, Josh, you'd go another 15 minutes so I wouldn't have as long. I'm going to tell you one quick story. So when we moved here, I've, I've had two Jersey lives. My first one was 98 to, to uh, January 13, then I moved to Carolina. And then my second jersey life was when I came back, obviously. So in our first jersey life, the Yankees were in the midst of that five-year-in-a-row run and just kicking everybody's fanny and winning championships and whatever. And 
uh, my oldest son, Saren, his name is Aaron, I had completely indoctrinated him, and he was just as miserable as I was as a Red Sox fan. And my son, Sam, is two and a half years younger, so Sam's, we moved here, Sam was eight years old. So we're a couple of years in, and, and he says uh, to me, uh, Dad, I think I'm a Yankee fan. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, sit down. <laughs> and I said, I'm a Red Sox fan. Your brother's a Red Sox fan. And we are both miserable. You are going to be a Red Sox fan <laughs> and be just as miserable as we are. Or else you better find somewhere else to hang your underwear. Because <laughs> you're out of the house. But anyhow, that was pretty funny. And the, the best part of this story is in 04, I don't mean to rub it in, but in 04, we got tickets to the seventh game. Bless you. So the three of us have a nice little picture of that. Um, the, um, the, if, if I want to thank Mark. So there's my, my, my Boston accent coming right up. I want to thank Mark and thank you guys for, <clears throat> excuse me, to be willing to have me here. Um, Getting introduced by George was, was is special because George, you know, whether you realize it or not, wherever you are, George, you had a lot to do with me coming to faith because when I was going, attending those Bible studies, I wasn't quite there yet. I really wasn't quite there. So I just want to, uh, what I thought I'd do this morning is give you guys a little bit of an idea of my walk, how I got to where I am, and how the role that God has played in my life throughout everything before I was a believer and since I became a believer. Okay, so I want, I want to share that with you. Um, um, uh, okay, I, that, that's the intro. I'm done with that. Okay, <laughs> all right. So let me give you, a, you know, a, a little bit of whatever. All right, so I'm an old guy. You know, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm 71. I think I'm doing okay for 71. And so I was raised in the 60s, <clears throat> excuse me, and I was raised in a Jewish ghetto, okay? We had, a, in our neighborhood, there was probably 500 families. There were only three non-Jewish families, so I was raised in a Jewish ghetto. Across the street, we had the Catholic kids, and we'd get in fights, they'd throw, we'd throw bricks at each other. We did all the crazy stuff. We did all that stuff, okay? Brass knuckles and all that, but we, we, we survived. We survived. At that time, the three mainstream Jewish branches were Orthodox, Conservative, and Reform. Okay, Reform was a little bit behind. They were just starting to gain steam. But, okay, so I was raised in a basically secular Jewish, conservative Jewish home. We celebrated all the holidays, okay? Um, excuse me. Uh, we, we, you know, we, we and I, and I had a very strong identification, identification with God, okay, from the jump. My dad was not a what you'd call a practicing Jew in terms of going to temple, lighting candles on Friday. We didn't light candles on Friday night, which is the night of the Shabbos. We didn't do any of those things, but my father was a very ethical and moral man. And he and gave, you know, gave me a lot of, uh, a lot of direction. Let's just say that, a lot of direction. And sometimes it hurt me more than it hurt him. But we'll go, we don't want to go there. All right. So anyhow, so I, <clears throat> excuse me, I was raised in a conservative home. 
<clears throat> oh, excuse me. I started Hebrew school when I was in the second grade. All right, and Hebrew school was five days a week, Sunday through Thursday, and it's like, oh my gosh! But I went, and and as and then I, when I got to be thirteen, we have what we call a bar mitzvah, which is the the son of the commandment, okay? And that's when you become a man. And I don't know if you guys know the whole thing about the if you go from being a pencil to a pen, but that's just a, a an, an analogy. But so anyhow, I became now most now most guys that I ran with, when you became bar mitzvah, they were they started Hebrew school a year behind me, so they were in the fifth grade. So they all bailed. But I was in the sixth grade, so I finished. All right. So then what happened was that I went to a the conservative congregation, and the uh, cantor was operatically trained. What a set of pipes. And when he sang, you could feel the presence of the Lord in, in, in the room. You could feel it. He was just, and I always felt that. And even before I became a believer, okay, accepted Jesus, the Hebrew word is Yeshua, as my Messiah, I never doubted the existence of God, and I never doubted his omnipotence, never. Okay, so I move forward. My grandmother passes away. In the Jewish religion, you have an 11-month, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Cheese and crackers. An 11-month mourning period. All right, so what happens is uh, my, at that time, the men were the only one that, ones that could say the mourner's Kaddish. And the first two, wi- two weeks after her death, you said it every day, twice, three times a day. And then it was on Saturdays, you, you'd go. Well, my, my, uh, it was my mother and my aunt, and at that time, women could not say more than Scottish in a conservative congregation. So I was the guy. I got, an, I got an, a nominated, anointed. The rabbi gave the approval. So I attended, con- I attended temple, you know, a lot, probably three out of four Saturdays a month, which was very unusual. So that just continued my feelings about the Lord and who he who he really was and, and how strong he was and how all omnipotent he was. Um, so I always had a strong belief that, you know, there was God. God was there. So when I turned 16, I get into sports. I stopped going to temple. And the other thing I did was I started hanging out with my non-Jewish friends because I was the only Jewish kid on the football team. I was two of us. I was the only, you know, so I hung out with, John Walsh, Jimmy Hurley, and Kevin Stewart, all right? And, and, and Kevin and Jimmy and I are still friends to this day. So anyhow, on Saturdays when we would go running around, we'd go to one of their parents' houses for lunch, and the mo- whatever mom it was was feeding us, and she'd say, oh, by the way, uh, you're going to confession today, right? It was kind of a suggestion, but not really, Okay. <laughs> And, and they put me on the spot because they'd look at me and say, and you gotta, I'm going to ask you if they went or not. So we, the first time we did it, I had uh, only been in a, a church, Catholic church on Christmas Eve. And so I'm in there and obviously, you know, I'm not going to confession. You know, that's one thing us Jews do right. We, one day and <laughs> we're done, you know. 
We get it done now. No fooling around. It's a miserable day, by the way. It's a long day. When this body can't have food for a day, it, it, you feel it. But anyhow, so I'm sitting in the back, and, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking. So I go home that night, and I said to my father, I said, Dad, you know, um, who, I went to church with the boys today. They had to go to the confessional. And I said, who's Jesus? Who is this guy? All right, and, and my father looked at me, and I didn't know if he was going to, you know, rain down whatever. But he looked at me, and he very thoughtfully said he was a Jew with a different idea. So right away, my father didn't put me on a path of this was a bad guy. Don't mess with him. And I always found that, and I, I, I've always remembered that. So time, time marches on. You know, like I said, I grew up in the, you know, fighting with the kids across the street, getting called a Christ killer and all that stuff. And, you know, all, all that. And then, um, and then I married uh, my wife's Joanne. Okay, Joanne was raised Catholic, became a believer as a young woman, and very gently dragged my fat fanny and worked on leading me to the Lord, okay? What I want to do is talk about, I call him, you know, Mark said how, how God has played a role in your life. That was, where are you, Mark? Fourth, there you, I'm sorry, Mark. I don't mind, but yeah, it's, it's early. But Mark said to me, guys want to hear the role that God has played in your life, Okay. And I think because of I really believed in the omnipotence of God, I don't that word coincidence is so overused and so such a crock, okay? It, it, it is. I'm sorry. I don't believe in coincidences, but you know, he's not up there just hanging out. You know what I'm saying? So I've never believed in that, you know, never believed in coincidence. So even as a, before I became a believer slash follower, I believed in, 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 in his role in my life. For example, a couple of examples. I'm going to try to keep this quick. Meeting Joanne, okay? So I'm out of college. I can't get a job. I'm in, living in Boston with my folks. <clears throat> Excuse me. I get a job interview in, in, in like, I don't know when it was. I get a job interview late in the fall, and I, I go through the interview process, and, and it's a town in Eastern Mass, and, and um, uh, I'm the, in the final finals for the job, and I don't get the job. Well, you know, stuff happens. You know, that happens. Well, a, friend of my, a very dear friend of the family knew people on that board, okay? And, they, you know, so he... Jay, how come that Gettleman kid didn't get the job? And they looked at him, his buddy on the board looked at him and said, you out of your mind? We can't hire a Jew here. So I didn't get that job. I got better. I got kicked in the butt. Boop. But it was better because now I got the job at Spagg Hill High School at Poughkeepsie, New York. And who did I meet there? Joanne. That's how I met Joanne. So, I, you know, you, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But I knew, I knew that, you know, this, is, this, this was his, you know, put him putting me in the right place. Because after, now again, don't think I'm an old wretch. 
Joanne, I, I was a teacher, and Joanne was a student. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Well, Joanne graduated, and I bumped into her at a wedding seven and a half years later. Now, that's not to say that I didn't notice the great pin she had when she was in high school, but that's another story. I'm, I'm old, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not blind. But anyhow, b- bottom line is, and that's a, that was a God moment. I was seeing someone at the time, decided to go to this wedding on, by myself, stag. And there's Joanne. So um, th- that was how I got into the NFL. I was c- teaching and coaching. I was bored, so I started a coach's clinic. I started a football camp with another guy. I found out about this part-time scout that worked for the Kansas City Chiefs that lived in Cornwall, New York. I got in touch with him. He spoke at the clinic, spoke there. And, you know, I did some things with him, went to tryout camps, lost touch with him after, after a while, decided I wanted to go uh, back to college and get a degree in sports management. And... Lo and behold, I'm reading the paper, and, and part of that program is an internship. Lo and behold, I read the paper, and the guy who, was, who I'd met as a part-time scout for the Kansas City Chiefs is now the director of pro personnel for the Buffalo Bills. It was Bill Polian. Okay? It was Bill Polian. All right? And that was my entree into the NFL. I went to see him. He said, you, you know, as long as I'm here, you can have an internship. So that was a God moment. Putting my skin, and that's, part of that's putting yourself out there, oh, by the way. Excuse me, but the, he, he did that. I had, I had a God moment with my parents. I get the Giants job, and uh, this is 98, and I, uh, we're on Cape Cod. Joanne's parents are retired. We're living on the Cape, and I, my parents, they would have a barbecue for the family, family barbecue reunion, and my parents would always come down, and my parents came down, and I just didn't like what I was looking at. I spoke to my dad. My mother didn't l- seem a little weird. And I spoke to my dad and whatever, and I just wasn't, what I, I just didn't feel, it didn't feel right for b- with both of them, with both of them. So we're on our way back to North Carolina, <coughs> and I'm on the George Washington Bridge, and I'm driving, and I looked at my wife, and I said, honey, I know why I got this job. And she looked at me. She said, I said, God brought me here to take care of my parents. Six months later, my mother's in the hospital. She dies 10 weeks later. week after that, my father calls and tells me he's got cancer, and he's gone 10 weeks after that. But he brought me here to take care of my parents, and I will always be grateful for that. That was a God moment. Okay? And... You know, George was a God moment in my life, you know, having him. Um, and the last thing, last one before coming to faith, I don't know if you, you guys are aware of this, but um, back in the aughts, maybe 03, 04, somewhere in there, there was a rabbi, a messianic rabbi by the name of, and he's still alive, Dr. Michael Brown. And there, is a, there was an Orthodox rabbi, his name is Rabbi Shmuley Botea. Shmuley lives in Teaneck. Okay? They had debates and about Yeshua, whether Yeshua was real or not. They had debates. I went to the first one. And 
was in the Y in Manhattan somewhere, and we're downstairs in the basement, and it's got to be 150 degrees, and you're like this, it's packed. And, you know, Michael and, and Rabbi Michael and Rabbi Shmuley are, are, are going back and forth, and, 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 and there was a large contingent of Hasidic uh, Jews in there. And, of course, they're angry and whatever. And, and, and it, was, it was pretty interesting. It was very interesting. And, and Michael Brown made a point. And I looked at the face of this one um, Orthodox, uh, one uh, Hasidic Jew. And the look on his face was one of absolute, of absolute, uh, it's not a word. I'm going to make a word up here for this. Petrification. He was petrified. The look was, he was absolutely petrified. And I'm watching him, and I'm looking at Shmuley, and I'm looking at Michael, and I'm saying to myself, whoa. Michael struck a nerve. He struck a nerve on this guy. And, and, and that made, got me thinking. So, you know, so we did all those, I did all those things. And then, again, God's at work all the time. I mean, he doesn't quit now. I mean, he, no matter what you do, he's going to work. He's going to work you over. He's going to get you to the right place if you're willing to be led. So we're living in Buffalo, and my wife discovers this religion called Messianic Judaism. I'd never heard of it, okay? Uh, I knew about Jews for Jesus, but my, my, I asked my mother about them, and she said, they're Meshuggah, which was Yiddish for crazy. <laughs> All right. So, so we... Um, so Joanne discovered this Messianic Judaism. We went, there was a congregation in Buffalo. We went to wonderful people. Again, just kind of getting me going, just kind of, you know, greasing the, greasing the wheels. Um, then we went to Cary, North Carolina. We were East Coast yo-yos. We're up and down the coast. Went to Cary, North Carolina. Had a, was involved in a home group. Again, a couple of people really, you know, were impressive, and they, they're greasing the wheels. And then we move up here. The first, uh, we went to a congregation that was the biggest congregation, biggest Messianic congregation in, in the United States. Went there. I didn't feel comfortable. Did not feel comfortable. And so, again, they're not coincidences. They're God moments. Joanne was going to CBS. Is that what it is, Judge? Joanne was going to CBS met a woman married to a Messianic Jew. He was doing a Passover Seder at the church he attended in Ridgewood. They needed someone that could read Hebrew. I went, helped him out. There was another Messianic Jewish man there. He told me about a congregation in Livingston, New York. So, okay, I can be led. I'm not an idiot. So, get in the car one Saturday morning, and Joanne and I drive over. And I walked into it, and it screamed, Jew. There were there were yarmulkes, taluses. The Torah was up there. There was a bema. It screamed, "These people are Jewish." Food at at the end at the end of the uh, service. You know, I forget what they call it. Ornick Shabbat, they call it. Okay. The guy, at the, the rabbi, had a beard hanging down in here. It was. I mean, it's like whoa. So again, greasing the, greasing the skids, getting involved in Bible studies, um, just 
listening and thinking about things and and understanding that, you know, he's really there for us. We just got to let him in. We just got to let him in. So I, so I finally come to faith. In 05, I looked around and I said, well, I guess I believe in you. You know, <laughs> let's go. And, uh, and I was a believer and, 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 and I did the things I thought I should be doing. Um, and, but I wasn't a mature believer. I wasn't mature. I was, I was kind of superficial in, in my stuff, in my walk, so to speak. So then we go to the Super Bowl in 2011. That was the year of the lockout. So we go to, we go to training camp July 25th. The Friday after the Super Bowl is February 8th. From that, between those two times, I had three days off, and I was working 80 to 90 hours a week. So that year, um, there were four GM jobs open. I had interviewed for three already and hadn't gotten them. So four GM jobs open. I didn't get a sniff, not even a, not even a courtesy interview. And I'm sitting at my desk, and uh, remember that Peggy Lee song, Is That All There Is? That's what I felt. We'd won our second Super Bowl in four years, and it was one of those, so what? So what? So I talked to, talked to my, you know, Joanne, and I talked to, to Jerry Reese and John Mayer. I decided to take a step back. I was going to, I had to figure out my life was a mess. I was, like I said, I was, I'd become a workaholic. I, w I was in danger, and this is where we run into trouble, us men, we run into danger because we allow our jobs to become who we are instead of just what we do, which is a real issue. I was, I was really closing in on it. I was really closing in on it. So I, uh, I thank you very much, Tom. I decided to take, I, I, I worked it out with uh, the Giants. I was going to work four days a week. Of course, they joke my four days a week is for most people is six six days a week. But and then it was in February. Every, all the arrangements had been made. Excuse me. All the arrangements had been made. I got down on my knees and I and I prayed and I said, "You want it. You got it." It's all on you. I am giving it up for you. And 10 months later, I'm the general manager of the Carolina Panthers. I stopped. I let go of one of the things that us men are about is control and credit. We're about that, guys. Be honest. Let's all be honest with each other. It's about control and credit. I completely let that go. I let it go. I just said, obviously, what I'm doing ain't working. You know, that old saying, I'm beating my head against the wall and, and uh, nothing changes. You know, my head is bloody and it doesn't change. That's what I was doing. So that's when I really felt that I became a mature follower. 
So, and I used biblical concepts, but I'll, I'll get to that in a second. My second huge moment was when I got cancer, when I got lymphoma. Now, you talk about God moments. You talk about the Lord orchestrating your life, okay? So I had a, you know, I, we loved Charlotte. So I come up here. I'm not feeling great. I'm figuring it's because of the hours I'm keeping. And finally, I, 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 I had been on a weight loss program, very conscientious, and was taking my time losing weight. And I weighed myself. Joanne came, to, finally moved up first weekend in, in May. And I weighed myself. And uh, um, a w- uh, I think it was a week later, I weighed myself again, and I lost 10 pounds. I said, and, and I, was having, I was getting winded walking up steps. I said, something's wrong. Something's wrong. So Ronnie Barnes, the trainer, takes me to Hackensack. And I end up in the hands of an internationally known lymphoma specialist. I mean, people come from other countries to be treated by this man. You think that wasn't a God moment? And look at all the stuff I had to go through to, to, for that to happen. I got fired in Carolina, sitting out for five months, get the job, and bang, I got cancer. But he put me in the best hands possible. And when I, uh, and, and again, one thing I, uh, I know that if you talk to 100 people that have cancer, the exact same cancer, Oh, by the way, I'm talking about the exact same cancer. If, all of, if everybody in this room, God forbid, was diagnosed at the exact same time with the same exact cancer diagnosis, we'd have 100 different treatments because we're all chemistry projects. And I don't know if you realize that. We're all chemistry. When it comes to cancer and that kind of stuff, we're a chemistry project. So I, my, my cancer was a particularly aggressive one. So Andre put me in the hospital, and I was, you know, he was kicking my butt with those drugs then. So the first day, I had, uh, I, I got my first bag, and the next morning I got up, and I'm, I'm feeling okay. I found out that it hit, it hit me about 18 to 24 hours after the, after the chemo was in my body. That's when it hit me. But I just sat back, and I looked up, and I said, this is on you too. I don't know if you, where you want me, if you want me upright, if you want me vertical or horizontal. But I will say this, I'm fine with whatever decision you make. And I mean that. And I'm not just saying this to whatever. And that gave me a sense of calm like you wouldn't believe, just like when I finally gave it to him in February of 12, it gave me a sense of calm. And I said, and I, and I let him do what he really wants to do. So those were my two mature <laughs> God moments. And, you know, I, I just, you know, he's, I've just been very fortunate that way. And I continue my walk. Um, I want to wrap this up. Not bad, huh, Judge? Not bad, huh? Man, I get kibitz, huh? <laughs> kibitz, da, 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 da. 
All right, so anyhow, all right, so I, I just want to talk about, real quick, wrap it up, biblical principles that I've learned and used. Okay, I talked about control and credit. Guys, we have to give it up. We really do. As a, you know, I'm not sure where you guys are in terms of your job status, but I, I, I know this. As a first a director of pro personnel, then as a general manager in, in two different places, I really went and used servant leadership. That's what it was all about. Okay, in, in the Army, they say that the troops always eat first. Okay, servant leadership. I really believe that. Everybody comes before you because, you know, the, the, it breeds trust, it breeds honesty. And it, the other thing about this is it gives you the ability to live your faith in and out of work. People say, I can't, I can't be me at work. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It's how you carry yourself. At work, you know, doesn't, it doesn't mean that when you're at work you have to talk about your faith all the time. It's how you live your faith. How you live your faith. Quick story. <clears throat> so when, when the, in 2008, when everything in the financial industry, you know, market went crazy, there was a group that was meeting in Rockefeller Center. And, and I went on the website, and I don't know if it was the New Canaan Society or not, but it was a bunch of professionals. And one guy was telling a story that the, the market goes, you know, everything goes belly up. He turns around, and they're firing people left and right. He's, he, every day he goes to his cubicle and he just does his thing. And a, his next door buddy in the cubicle says to him, finally says to him, how are you doing this? You're the, you're the same guy. You're the same guy when the stock market was up 3,000 points. It's now down 3,000. You're the same guy. How are you doing this? And he looked at him and he said, you really want to know? And he said, yeah. He said, let's have a conversation. Living his faith at work, he showed how you can speak for the Lord. Um, I touched on control and credit. Guys, God's delays are not his denials. The thing we have to remember is we are on his schedule. He sets the agenda, not us. Patience. Patience. Okay. <clears throat> Proverbs uh, 16, 9. I love this one. Man plans and God laughs. <laughs> but, you know, the, uh, that saying, best, it's the truth. It's the truth. Okay? And um, the other thing I want to talk about is legacy. Very quickly, there's two more things. Legacy. We have two legacies. As men, we have two legacies. We have a personal legacy and we have a professional legacy. The personal legacy is so much more critical than the professional. You know, I just came off a 37-year NFL career. Okay, I had 10 and a half years as a high school teacher and coach. Okay, I did pretty good for a fat little Jewish kid from Mattapan. You know, I did pretty good. You know, but is that more important than how my children turn out, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with the Lord. Gosh, no. It's not. So you ha we have to keep that in mind. We have to keep that in mind. All right? And, and what I want to end with is <clears throat> in, in uh, Jewish services, 
lot of them end with a prayer. Um, It's Adon Olam. That's God of the world. And the final word, the final stanza line, whatever, is Adonai Li Velo Ira. And what that means is, God is with me. I shall not fear. Guys, we are never alone. Never. And I want to end with the ironic benediction. That's Numbers 6, 24 to 26. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Through the name of Messiah Yeshua. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate you, brother. Just to wrap up. Take this away from me this morning. God moments, right? God moments. We think at any level we can recall at least a few God moments in our lives. We think a little bit longer, more God moments show up in our mind. But think also of this. God wants to use you in some God moments in other guys' lives. Don't think it's all about you and my God moments. Think, God, can you use me in my life, in my, in, with my relationships, to be an instigator of a God moment in someone else's life? Dave, thanks a lot for your story. Thanks a lot for the Jewish culture that I picked up a lot of this morning. Thank, thanks again, brother. Let's close in prayer. Father, maybe even this morning, it's a God moment for some of us in this room. Father, would you slow us down enough to recognize this moment? Would you keep us from pushing it out of our minds and our hearts and getting caught up in the rat race and not think consider and choose to obey at this moment thank you father for the men and women in our lives who have played roles in our God moments father would you use us this weekend to play a role in another one's God moment we desire for you not only to work in our hearts, but to place us in other people's lives who might work in their hearts through us. We give you ourselves afresh this morning. We look to you to do what only you can do in our lives, to to carve out the control that uh, we so often grab from. Father, make us servant. weekend.